Within the tropical dry forests of the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, Mayan beekeepers harvest honey from bees. This ancient, forest-friendly practice directly sustains the livelihoods of over 25,000 families. However, the impact of climate change is threatening to disrupt this harmonious coexistence of people and nature. You see, water is incredibly scarce in these forests, and this has created a surprising conflict between local beekeepers and the five species of wildcat that call Calakmul home. Today, we meet Mariam and Telma from the Ocelot Working Group, who along with Carlos has been working with these communities to create solutions that protect wildcats, and importantly, safeguard this ancient beekeeping practice for generations to come. I'm Andy Varvel, and this is Cats of the Wild, episode 37, Cats of Kalakmul. Hi, I'm Mariam Weston. This is actually the second time I've spoken to Mariam. We last spoke in early 2021, for episode 12, The Mysterious Cats of Morelos. And since then, she has continued her passion for small wildcat conservation. Yes, so I decided to come to the UK to do a master's in conservation leadership at the University of Cambridge. And before leaving Animal Karma, I was pitching the project that we spoke on the first podcast to the Small Wildcat Conservation Foundation. And we started a journey with them, not to only work for the project that we were doing in Morelos, but to expand it to other areas of Mexico. And they asked me to be co-leading the Ocelot Working Group so we could boost conservation focusing on small cats in Mexico and Central America. So that's what I am doing right now. Although I'm here in the UK, I'm trying to bridge resources from here to Mexico. And now we're co-coordinating five projects focusing on different small cats, jaguarundis, marigais, and ocelots. One of these projects that Mariam is coordinating focuses on the conflict between local beekeepers and wildcats in the Calakmul Biosphere Reserve in Mexico. The project is led by Telma Arenas Rodriguez and Carlos Delgado. And for this episode, I was lucky enough to have Telma join us. She speaks Spanish and I've translated and revoiced her responses in English. My name is Telma, and I am a biologist with a PhD in biosciences. I really love nature and a part of me, and a part of my heart, is committed to the Calakmul jungle and the entire peninsula with all these animals and also with the communities. I believe we cannot do conservation if we are not working together with the communities. And in that sense, that is my commitment and my spirit aligns a lot with this idea of working with the communities and saving these animals. The Calakmul Biosphere Reserve is in the far south of Mexico, at the base of the Yucatan Peninsula. This forest, along with neighbouring forests in northern Guatemala and Belize, are collectively known as the Selva Maya, and it's the second largest rainforest in the Americas after the Amazon. 
It is the home to the archaeological site of Kalakmul, one of the most powerful ancient cities ever uncovered in the Maya lowlands. So basically in the Mayan jungle, we have all the species of wildcats that we have in Mexico, except for the bobcat. And that means that we have the jaguarundi, the margai, the ocelot, the puma, and the jaguar. And it's just fantastic because if you put a camera trap in the Mayan jungle, certainly you will have all of them. But it's like one of the most well-preserved reserves that we have in the country. So it's truly a fantastic place to see wildlife, although with camera traps. And if you're fortunate enough to go in the right moment, you might even see a, a jaguar. And Calakmul is the only place in Mexico that I am 100% certain that you will have the highest chances to see a jaguar because it's the reserve that has the highest jaguar density population in the country. And, you know, the fact that I am talking about the jaguar, it also reflects a lot of the problems that we have for the other species because most of the resources and conservation activities that we have in the country and uh, in the Mayan jungle are 100% focusing on the jaguar, no? That leaves a gap for conservation for the mesocarnivores, especially for margais, ocelots, and jaguarundis. And that also reflects on the conflicts that we see rising with regards to them as well. When you think of a tropical forest, you might be thinking of a forest that's lush and wet. However, Kalakmul is a tropical dry forest, with a dry season that typically lasts six months of the year, sometimes even longer. Well, when I arrived at Kalakmul, being on the peninsula, I never thought it would have these water problems, you know? One thinks of the peninsula and always associates it with bodies of water, and I find it incredible that with so much biodiversity, it is associated with a place that has so many water problems. It's not that it rains less, but the time it is raining is shortened, and this changes the distribution of water, and, well, also climate change. Some human activities have also changed the distribution patterns of animals a bit, with these constructions of the Mayan train and the hotel in the jungle. So... The Kalakmul is super lush, but there are no permanent water bodies. So all the water bodies depend on the rain seasons to fill up and retain that water for a long period of time. And biodiversity has evolved to depend on their life cycles from those wetlands. And we call these wetlands aguadas. That's like the common name in the area. So now that we have longer droughts, the aguadas are not able to retain water for as long as they should. And when animals do not have access to water, they start seeking water in the places where they could find water, which means they will approach farms or try to approach communities that might have water. And this is where conflict could arise, you know, direct interactions with humans, but also like road kills. In these forests, beekeeping has been a part of Mayan culture for thousands of years. I've read a quote in an article from Mongabay. It was of a caretaker of a hive who said, In order to keep the bees, you have to keep the forest. In order to keep the forest, you have to keep the bees. The bees can't live without the forest. And the forest can't live without the bees. They learned these activities because, one, They had knowledge of the regions where they came from. And two, being a place with little water, they had to learn other activities that were also a bit more economical in terms of investment. 
such as livestock or agriculture, and adapt to the environment. Beekeeping was ideal for the region, right? And then we have noticed that people who have been dedicated to beekeeping for many years have a certain respect, care for the jungle, because they have realized that by maintaining the jungle, the flowers of the jungle, their bees can stay fed. And in that sense, I believe that historically, beekeepers who have many years of experience in this, like, feel that they have a certain feeling or respect for the jungle, and also a certain intuition about how the season is going to be based on how it has started to rain. It seems to me that they have a lot of knowledge about the jungle. This is a podcast about cats, though, not bees. So where do the cats come into this? We have this forest with very little water, and the beekeepers with the hives in the forest. Each one of these hives has a container of water placed at the bottom of them to provide water for the bees and protection from ants. And it's this water source that's attracting wildcats. And in some cases, they're even destroying these local hives. I think one of the things that really blows our minds is the fact that they have to put water under the hives. We were asking, like, why will you do that? Is it for the bees or is it for why? And the beekeepers, they explained to us that when they put the water for many reasons, for the bees to find a water source, but also to prevent ants to climb the hive and eat the honey or prey on the honeybees. So I thought that was like a natural adaptation that they have created, that it's friendly to the environment. They're not like putting pesticides or anything, and they are also helping the bees to find water in within the area. So it's interesting because we have asked a lot of farmers, why do you do this instead of, you know, maybe adapting the hives to be different, but it seems to be working and it's like a traditional way of doing it. So who are we to tell them how to do baby hives, no? And also we have an interview with one beekeeper she was saying that when they cover the water source, also sometimes they have a animals trying to knock that cover off and that sometimes creates like a damage to the hive. We cannot even like conceal the, the frustration of the people when animals drink the water because they have to bring the water all the way to the jungle. There's no pipes. There's no system. They literally carry the water to bring it to the hives that are in the middle of the jungle. So imagine the frustration they have, they feel when they see the empty drinker and then they have ants inside of the hive. So that they lose their production and they lose one of their most important income sources. Telma and Carlos, alongside the local communities, designed a clever solution to help immediately mitigate this conflict through the installation of artificial water troughs in other parts of the forest, hoping to draw the cats away from the villages and hives and towards safer areas for water. They also install camera traps at both the hives and the water troughs to see if the cats and other animals really did use these new water sources. One solution that we have found is working a bit with the communities and directly with the beekeepers so that they help us provide water to the animals and that this water is a few hundred meters away from the hives, and I am sure that the animals do not get so close to the hives. You can separate the community a little from the hives of the beekeepers, right? 
And also, we encourage beekeepers to have a certain interest in seeing what is in their jungle. And in that sense, monitoring helps us see how much these artificial drinkers are being visited. But also, they help us connect the beekeeper with the animals and what is in their jungle. Finally, their space is their place, and we have seen a lot of interest on the part of the beekeepers in seeing what kind of animals are coming and how often. And that is one of the most surprising things that this work has given, right? Connecting beekeepers with animals and improving these interactions. To add on that, I think also it's really important before somebody that might be listening to this be saying, this is something that I want to implement in my backyard. It's really important to understand the context of Kalakmul because Kalakmul it's super well preserved, like in matters of like presence of dogs that might be sick. So obviously this works in this context perfectly. But if you do this in my home state in Morelos and you put these kind of water throats in the middle of like a super urbanly impact reserve where you might have sick dogs drinking water from these water throats, that can be a hotspot for diseases. So I really encourage people to do some background checks on the area. We know that, for instance, in El Salvador, it's working perfectly, but also they don't have a lot of issues with dogs. Like they don't have a lot of registers of dogs in that area. And we know that there is probably a couple of researchers finding out the impact of microplastics in these water throats because the ones that we're using are plastic. So we're still in the very early stages of understanding how are we impacting also probably in the long term. But immediate action was required due to climate change. I think it was important to intervene in this context. Like otherwise, it would have been probably worse if we didn't intervene. It's still early days, but initial results from the camera traps have shown that Margai's Pumas and jaguars are all drinking from these artificial water troughs more than the hives. As there are no pipes or water systems in the forest, the Ocelot Working Group is paying local families to fill these water troughs regularly, as well as educating them on camera trap monitoring. Their relationship with the communities, it's key for this project because they become the guardians of this strategy. These water throats are very important where we're putting them because we are putting them in communal lands. And it's very different to put this in a private land because people can fence it up and be like completely private about how they manage their land. These are communal lands and we need people to be invested with us and trust us to do this. So it's very important for us to keep the relationship with the communities because they help us guard this area. But also we're doing a crucial role because these water throats were initially implemented for that years inside the reserve of Kalakmur which is managed by the government and WWF, I think. And they are only putting these water throats inside the reserve. So we're complementing each other because we're helping animals to not know limits on research. So we're kind of also speaking with each other and we're like, you know, calling them and be like, hey, do you think this one will work here? And they're like, yeah, we don't have some near that area, so it might be perfect. So also like Talking to the other stakeholders involved, I think, has been key for this project in particular to be successful. The team also hired a beekeeping trainer to help local beekeepers enhancing production, as well as helping them produce other products from their bees' honey. Most recently, they worked with Mexican artist Andy Malpica to design a children's comic book 
to help explain the conflict between wildcats and beekeepers and the solution that was implemented. We have already had workshops with children and they have responded very well to the stories we tell them. This work with children and getting them a bit closer to nature has been very well received. So far, we haven't been able to present the comic. We are very excited about it. But I think it is a job that has a lot, a lot of detail. Especially because Andy Malpica helped us here to capture exactly what we were doing and put it into drawings. We believe it is a super important tool. And we hope that it not only reaches the community right next to Calakmul, but can be distributed throughout the entire peninsula. It is a problem faced by many places, not only Calakmul. But I believe that bringing these types of solutions to other places is our greatest dream. Calakmul Biosphere Reserve is such a precious and important forest, not just for wildcats, but for all animals and people across the region. Like many forests around the world, This forest too is under threat with the growth of tourism and development in the region, placing pressures on the very heart of the forest itself. There had been rumours of a hotel development in the middle of the reserve, and it was Carlos that actually came across construction workers during his fieldwork, who had cleared a large site for the hotel as part of a controversial Tren Maya railway line project, moving tourists and cargo throughout the region. The hotel is said to be dangerously close to the Kalakmul mine ruins, and an important watering hole for local wildlife. Obviously, I'm realistic. And the last time that I was in Calakmul, it was like Tarzan, Indiana Jones, super, like literally it's like Indiana Jones. Like you have a pyramid in, in the middle of the jungle and you climb the pyramid and you're like surrounded by this like ocean of green and you hear the howler monkeys. Then you walk to your car and you saw like a jaguar footprint. I feel like it's one of the most magical places on earth. And not even Mexicans realize how privileged we are that we have that. Maybe, I don't want to be too dramatic, but I have seen how the reserve has changed in this last year. And the change has been brutal. And it is very painful for me, for Carlos, every time we go, because two or three months pass and we see how the landscape in general changes inside the reserve, outside the reserve and in the community. It's very different. I know that the impacts of this urban development are real. We have seen this impact already. So it's real for the communities in the long term because all of this is probably not going to be beneficial for them in the long term. Term, 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 like long, long, long term. I feel a bit anxious about this. I feel like we need more people to talk about this. You know, the, the, the threats are there. We need to be finding solutions. We need to be talking to each other. We need to be collaborating. We need to be pushing the government to listen to the experts and seek for solutions that include everybody. You know, we're no longer in the time that we should be fighting for egos or like publishing papers and, you know, putting our names before everything. We need to put that down and we need to work together, hold hands with each other, like as hippie as this sounds, we really need to stand our grounds as a unity and be like, we want to preserve this because this is our culture's richness. This is our real Mexican treasures and we need to preserve them. What I do believe is that if we raise our voice and continue working with the community, we could try to continue solving some conflicts 
as we are trying to do so far, right? But it is very painful to see how the reserve has changed in a year. And well, let's hope that in the end, it is not so tragic. And I also get so excited when I meet with the communities because they understand, they do see that this is their livelihood. They, they see that the real gold is green. That also makes me very optimistic because I know that as long as they're there and as long as we have people that is conscious about our richness, there will always be hope for Kalakmul and the cats that live there. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. Hi, my name is Miriam. You can get to know more about our work in the Ocelot Working Group through our Instagram. And you can also find in our website, Ocelot Working Group. And if you want to help us out, reach out by DM and we can give you all the details to make a donation. Or you can reach out to our partners, Small Wildcat Conservation Foundation directly, and you can make a donation through PayPal, their website. Thank you so much to Mariam and Telma from the Ocelot Working Group as well as Ana Rubio, who provided the English voice for Telma. Please consider supporting their work. You can find all their info on their socials or through the Small Wildcat Conservation Foundation. Cats of the Wild is created by me, Andy Varvel. Theme music is by Score Squad. Other music and sound effects from Envato and Descript. The recording of the Yucatan Jungle is licensed under Creative Commons from Folk Art Films. You can find it on freesound.org.